Hello, everybody. It's Julie with Hefsabah Talks A Lot, and I just wanted to preface this podcast with just a quick disclaimer. I try not to do disclaimers because I just ramble, and it's just another podcast segment. <laughs> but um, this podcast is about loving yourself, and uh, it's very random in many places as my life tends to ebb and flow with the randomness. I don't know if I'd ramble as much if I was sitting in a room talking, but knowing myself, I probably would. But I just really hope that this uh, podcast speaks to you in some way, because loving yourself is very important. I think that we discredit the value of loving ourselves and actually liking ourselves. We don't put a lot of emphasis or weight on that aspect of living life. A lot of us live our lives not liking ourselves, and we shouldn't live our lives that way. And so I kind of hope this podcast really speaks to you. If it did, if you have a podcast idea, uh, if you just want to let me know your thoughts about any of my podcasts, you want to give me some feedback, you want to encourage me, uh, I'm not going to say anything negative because as you'll see with this podcast, you need to cut negativity out of your life. So I don't need negative comments. I will accept um, constructive criticism, however. So it's a fine line. Just make sure you're, you're on the right side of it. You can write me at htal.podcast at gmail.com. I really look forward to hearing from you. And as I said, I really hope this podcast speaks to you and that you glean something vital and life-changing from these segments that were recorded over the course of two days. So thanks very much for listening and for your support. H-T-A-L dot podcast at gmail dot com. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. It's Julie with Hefsabah Talks A Lot here in Shanghai, China, surviving one of the possibly most dismal weeks I've had here in China since I arrived. I think the closest um, that I've felt this way, which is very, uh, I just want to book a flight and go home and not come back, uh, was the day before and the day of receiving my center assignment. Um, God, of course, came through and gave me a center assignment that really helped me um, I happened to show up the day of, the first day there was the day of the Christmas party, and uh, I was just extremely welcomed and made to feel comfortable and accepted. Um, I won the competition that day with my team, and uh, it was a lot of fun. So it kind of helped me to get past that gloominess. When I heard how some of the other onboarders were treated in their centers, uh, I just knew that God had made a way for me to have a a good experience so that I wouldn't turn tail and run out of China. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, I've been feeling that way this week. Um, there's been a lot happening and I feel like I've just been constantly being punched in the gut. Today was probably the best day out of the last four. Um, I did have a bit of a bad attitude character flaw moment because I have a I have character flaws I know that probably shocks a lot of you 
Julie has character flaws. There's no way. Uh, yeah, character flaws. They exist. I am one of the probably, I'm not going to say I'm the most honest people in the world because I know that's not true, but I'm one of the most brutally honest, especially when it comes to myself. I, uh, I don't sugarcoat my life. I'm fully aware that I am a flawed individual with annoying characteristic traits and personality traits. And, ooh, that's a big old spider web. <laughs> Goodness, that was scary. I don't like spiders. Um, I know that I tend to ramble and drift. You know, as much as I want this podcast to be this really great thing that people follow and becomes well-known and people like it. I'm so random that uh, I think the only way that I would ever have a podcast that was about something specific where it would actually have content people were willing to actively seek out on a regular basis would be if it was my job. And I truly think at that point, I wouldn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> That's my, my thing. If it becomes a job, if it becomes work, I wouldn't want to do it. And maybe that's why God has never called me into full-time ministry. Because he knows if it became a job for me, I would not want to do it anymore. This is why when I do my photography, I want to do it as a hobby. If someone wants to pay me after it's done, by all means, I would graciously and happily accept any money. Um, but at this point, um, I, can't, I can't get paid for it because I feel like my life is then, or it's purpose, that's a better word for it, it's purpose is then gone. If it's not a hobby, if it's a job, I don't want to do it anymore. I think the expectations I put on myself at that point are too high. Does that make sense? I start to expect too much out of what I can do. And since I know my limitations, I, uh, I don't do that. You may all may be wondering what the point is. The point is, I'm aware. <laughs> I'm aware that I have character flaws. I told my, my roommate Kaylee today in a, a voice memo. In case you didn't know this about me, I am a uh, very pessimistic individual. And I'm not the innocent until proven guilty kind of person. I'm the guilty until proven innocent kind of person, which means I automatically assume, you might as well know this, I automatically assume you're lying to me until you prove otherwise. So let's look at this in the realm of dating, for instance. I don't believe any of it. So any person that writes me after like seeing me on Facebook or anything like that, I'm immediately like, you're lying or you only want one thing. It's gonna take, if it ever happens, which at this point I don't expect it to, but it will take a whole lot of patience and a very godly 
and special man to win me over. Because I'm not interested, folks. I'm not interested in the platitudes. Flirting doesn't work for me. At least not the way the world does it. Oh, you're so beautiful. Yeah, whatever, dude. Oh, oh you're just such a special person. Mm. Whatever. Content, people, content. I need to have content. I can't have shallow, vapid platitudes. It don't work for me. I'm a writer. I need something deeper. Plus, I'm a Christian. I need something deeper. But anyway, I'm just getting off on random tangents. Wow, that is like the prettiest scooter I've ever seen here. That's the kind of scooter I want right there. I like that scooter. I'm going to regret the fact that I didn't take a photo of it. It's going to have to be like, oh, I wonder what it looked like. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> once again, distracted and random. That's what I do. Anyway, um, so what's the point? The point is, do you know that, that they're, they're, when they're talking to Jesus in the Bible, they tell him, oh, God, what's the greatest commandment? Now, most of the times, well, they didn't say, oh, God, because a lot of them didn't believe Jesus was God. But they wanted to trip Jesus up. I, I know lots of people think they can trick God into something or lie to God or whatever. Make him like prove that he's contradicted himself or some of these other random things in life that you can't. But, you know, keep trying. So that's what they try to do with Jesus. Like these, keep wanting to say hypocrites, but these uh, Pharisees and Sadducees and stuff wanted to have Jesus trip up. So they wanted to ask him questions like, oh, should you pay taxes? And what did Jesus say? And the reason I know this one is because I don't want to pay taxes, but I have to. <laughs> so what did it say? I mean, anybody that could get out of taxes would become a Christian and claim that instantly. Oh, I don't have to pay taxes. I'm a Christian. Jesus said, oh, pull out a coin. Who's on the coin? And of course, in those days he was talking to people where Caesar was on the coin. And he goes, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, render unto God what is God's. Yeah, so, <laughs> yes, you pay your taxes. And then when they told Jesus, you know, well, your disciples haven't paid taxes. Jesus tells Peter, I believe, Peter, go catch a fish. Peter goes out because, I'm pretty sure it was Peter, because Peter is like me. Or I'm like Peter, where we just run our mouths, thinking we know things and we really don't. And Peter tells him, I mean, Jesus tells, well, Peter tells the people when they're like, blah, 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 about taxes. And then Peter's like, of course we pay our taxes, whatever. Peter runs his mouth off. So Jesus is like, Peter, go catch a fish, and that fish will find a five-piece gold coin, go pay our taxes. Okay, does God need us to pay taxes? Yes, because he tells us that he puts governments and leaders in place for a reason and we are to obey the laws of the land as long as they don't contradict his word his word says that we are to pay taxes and there you go once again that was free had no purpose <laughs> i don't know who that was for if you're listening to this and you were against paying taxes now you know um but anyway so they're trying to trip Jesus up. That was the whole point of that. Why they asked about taxes. They're trying to trip Jesus up and uh, failing to do so. So with the 
question, what is the greatest commandment, they're trying to trip Jesus up. They're like, oh, which one are we, which one is most important? Because they were all about like, like they would measure their steps on a Sabbath day to make sure they didn't go over their allotted number of steps. You want to know about religious people, the Pharisees and Sadducees are the ones to learn from. If you want to follow rigid religion and micromanage your life by these rules and regulations instead of a relationship with Christ, by all means, that's what they were good at. So they asked Jesus, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And what Jesus said was, well, the greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment are pretty much the same thing. Greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. So, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength essentially means you give him everything. You don't just assume something. So, God doesn't want you just telling people, well, the Bible says it, so I believe it. God wants you to have your mind engaged. He wants you to be able to say, uh, the Bible tells us uh, that we must, I almost said neither a borrower nor a lender be, and that's not in the Bible. <laughs> I almost said that. The Bible tells us, you know, to uh, honor our father and mother. And he that honors your father and mother would have long life. Well, what does honor mean? Well, I don't know. The Bible just says to honor them. Well, does honoring your father and mother mean that you do whatever they tell you to do? Well, yeah. So if your father and mother tell you to rob a bank, you're going to go rob the bank? Well, no. Well, then you dishonored your father and mother, didn't you? Well, technically, if you look at it as honoring being obeying, that's not what it means. It means that you, you don't do anything in your life, such as robbing a bank, that would make your mother or father look badly. That you don't make them, make people question their parenting. People do that all day now. Who raised that kid? How many of you see a kid throwing a tantrum in the store and you're like, what kind of parenting is that? That's what it means. It's <laughs> the best way to summarize it. Now, is it the parents' fault? Sometimes. Other times we're just idiots as individuals. But it still reflects poorly on our parents. It's not an excuse, it's just a reflection. Uh, so honoring your father and mother is just rather about not talking negative about them and not making them look bad. Even if your parents were crap, crap parents, maybe they abandoned you, maybe they abused you, whatever, to honor them, it doesn't say you have to honor them if they were great parents, it says honor them, period. So, with your mind engaged, how do you do that? Well, you can go to counseling. If God tells you that you have to talk about your childhood to help someone else, you do it. If he tells you to write a book, you do it. You just make sure you do it in a way that's honorable. So, mind's engaged. Heart, that means the very core of who you are, your feelings are engaged. It means that you're not just looking at your relationship with Christ in an analytical way. You're not just like, oh, well, he's my savior and that's all there is to it. You're actually emotionally engaged. So, I believe in the Lord. It's true. But so do the demons. And they tremble. What makes me different? Well, the fact that I actually love him. My feelings are engaged. I'm in love with Christ. My feelings are engaged. That's what the difference is. Heart. Soul. Soul is your very core. God owns your soul. Spirit. Your personality. So those are the things that are engaged in that area. 
And then he gives the neighbor as yourself, loving your neighbor as yourself. People are kind of like glazing that over. Oh yeah, that's fine, that's true. So you got to look at the fact, first of all, God, Jesus establishes who is your neighbor, because they ask that. Well, who's our neighbor? So he tells the story of the Samaritan, and I'm not going to go into that here. You can read about it. I think it's, I don't know chapters, I'm not even going to guess. But you can read about it. Uh, Samaritan on the side of the road. Well, who was his neighbor? The one that showed him compassion, the one that showed him mercy, the Samaritan. Showed him mercy and compassion. I believe. Was it the Samaritan? Or was the Samaritan in the road? Now I don't remember. Don't judge me. <laughs> Read the story and then email me and tell me who it was. Who was the Samaritan? The one on the side of the road or the one that helped him? Pretty sure it's the one that helped him. Because they didn't like Samaritans. So the Samaritan stopping to help was more telling than the Samaritan being the one needing help. So I'm pretty sure it was the Samaritan that helped. But whatever. You tell me. Read the story. Read the parable. Tell me about it. So through that parable, Jesus establishes caring for others and uh, not judging people by their race or culture. Uh, and also, who is your neighbor? The one that cares, the one you care for. Anybody. Everybody's your neighbor. You're everybody's neighbor, even if they live 5,000 miles away. So Jesus says, love your neighbors yourself. Well, then there's the other thing. How do you love yourself? So most of us live our lives with self-loathing. I know I'm one of them. Like I said, I'm acutely aware of who I am and how I fail and where I need improvement and where my character flaws are. I'm aware of all of that. How do I love myself then? It's a very poor thing. When does self-love become narcissism? When does one love themselves to the point that they're horrible people? Very, very self-centered. Their self-love is so consuming they can't love their neighbor because they love themselves too much. It's a fine balance. The struggle of loving yourself. What does that even mean? Does it mean that you just overlook your flaws and don't care about them and don't, don't uh, address them, don't deal with them? No. Not even a little bit. But then what? Are we supposed to like be self-abusive and hate ourselves? No, not that either. We have to be acutely honest and aware. If you love your kids, do you let them get away with anything? It's not love. Seriously, if you spoil your kids and you never call them to task on anything, that's not love. You give them everything they ever ask for, everything they ever want, not love. Does Jesus give us everything we want? No. Does he call us out on the negative things we do, on the bad we do, on the ungodly stuff we do? You bet. Does he require us to grow up, to change, to be stronger, to be better? Yeah. So what is love? It's all of those things. But I find to love myself is one, to consider myself okay where I am in this moment. I'm not where I need to be, but I'm not where I was. And as long as I love myself, well then, I'm ahead. As long as I can say, you know, today, I may not be the best, shining, bright, brilliant example of what I should be or want to be, but I'm still alive and I'm still going. So I can rejoice in that. Loving myself is also acknowledging I'm not perfect and knowing that despite my flaws, I am loved and accepted. And as I said a little, a few, like a week ago, <laughs> what a difference a week makes, 
I deserve because I'm him. I'm his. I'm not him. I'm his. I deserve good things in my life because I belong to Christ. My behavior can cause negative things in my life and cause problems, but in addition to all that, his love, his purity, his holiness covers me and gives me the gift of being able to say that I deserve good, I deserve better, I deserve more. Not because of me, because of him. Learning to love myself is learning to say, you know what, Lord Jesus, where I am right now may not be where I will be tomorrow. I could be five steps ahead, I could be one step behind. But I'm still going, and I can love myself in that. You know the movie they just put out about Paul? was powerful beyond measure because I never really considered how he felt knowing he condoned the taking and acted actively participated in the taking of so many Christian lives when he was zealously persecuting the church. And through all that, God blinded him on the road, got his attention and said, why are you persecuting me? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Jesus called him to himself delivered him and saved him. Paul, who had persecuted so many people in the name of God, but Jesus called him out of that, saved him. But does that mean that Paul didn't carry that with him? And the movie powerfully portrayed that. If you haven't watched that Paul movie, you need to, because it portrayed the burden he carried for the people whose lives were taken. And I think that is something we need to consider because through the, all of that, Paul was still able to love others. And even though he calls himself the chief of all sinners, I believe he was able to love himself. And that was why he was able to give everything to serve Christ and to serve the people of, of God. And I think that's what it means to love oneself. And it is a struggle that we must face every day and a challenge that one day we can overcome. But we have to do it a day at a time and ask Jesus to show us what it means to love ourselves and how we walk that line. I might consider this in the second half of the podcast. Send me an email, htal.podcast at gmail.com. H-T-A-L, Hepzibah talks a lot, htal.podcast at gmail.com. Oh, hello everybody, it's Julie with Hepzibah talks a lot. And the next day, about one in the afternoon, on my way to work, and uh, as I mentioned in the first segment of this podcast, I may actually continue and actually have a fluid flow of podcast relativity, and lo and behold, here we are. Segment two, about loving oneself. I kind of felt like yesterday's was cut off rather abruptly because I didn't want to record in the metro like I normally or like I used to be where I wanted to stop before I got into the metro and then last few times I've recorded in the metro and even on the trains but it's so loud I mean even walking on the road here it's loud so trying to keep from background noise being too loud in a perfect world I would sit in a quiet room and record these and maybe in the future I will but as I've mentioned the best time is when I'm walking so loving oneself as I was 
explaining in the first segment, very difficult to do um, for a myriad of reasons. So I talked, touched on a few of them in my haphazard random way that I do. And I was thinking today about negativity. And uh, I want to start out with, uh, I'm a pessimist, as I mentioned yesterday. I'm definitely a pessimist. However, I'm a 39-year-old pessimist who has lived since I was at least 12 with an understanding of who God is and, well, okay, that's, that's a big statement, you know, uh, and understand that God exists and a desire in that understanding to please him. And it wasn't until I got older that I understood that I could actually know him not just know of him. Uh, so I've lived the majority of my life with a firm belief in God. Did it waver? Did I have moments of doubts? Did I have moments where I left and lived a riotous life? Of course. Do I fail? Do I make mistakes? Am I human? Yes, indeed. Part of that is what makes it difficult to love yourself. So let's look at negativity. One of my other podcasts, I may or may not have shared, I talked about, I don't know, because I, I do so many podcasts and I feel like they're irrelevant or a little too uh, opinionated in a passionate way for me to use them. So I don't know if I shared the one or not about negative self-talk, but I'm pretty sure I did. Pretty sure I did. But we have to learn how to eliminate negative self-talk in our lives and also eliminate the outside negativity. I can't tell you how many times I hear backward com compliments or backhanded compliments, whichever word works for you, which is essentially like, oh, I could never wear that dress, but it works for you kind of things. Like in other words, like that dress is ugly and I want to tell you that. But I'm going to say it in a way that sounds like I'm being nice to you when really I'm telling you that you look hideous, okay? <laughs> Women are catty. We can definitely be hurtful with our words. I think women are probably the best and the most guilty of backward, backhanded compliments. Uh, I'm not going to apologize for us, women, because we're just... A little too intelligent so we think of ways to say things that make us look okay when we're actually harmful I had to learn to change the way I say things especially when I get passionate about something because I don't know your life and I could say something that may be a hundred percent true but the way that I say it could cause you harm as a believer in Christ, who knows that he loves you, I have to be aware of this. Do I 100% all the time achieve that? No. I really do try, though. I used to not have a filter. I hate when people excuse stuff like that. Usually, and this is justifiable, the older community, the elderly, have no filter. And we just... Let that be. They have lived their lives, folks. They have been politically correct and apologetic, or they haven't, whichever. And now they're at the end. A lot of times they're disregarded and disrespected and ignored. 
and they just say what they feel, and we just let them, because they deserve that. They deserve to be allowed grace. But as a 39-year-old woman, I shouldn't be somebody that doesn't have a filter. I shouldn't know how to dial back my expressions of disgust, irritation, annoyance, jealousy, ah, let's be honest. So I am not to be a negative force in someone's life. Now the Bible tells us that we will reap what we sow. I know I've talked about this in podcasts before. People call it karma. Christians call it reaping and sowing. As I mentioned, you plant an apple tree, you're getting apples. You're not going to get pears. You're not going to get broccoli. What you plant, you get. You plant negativity, you're getting negativity. And what's really interesting is you can plant three seeds. I don't know how many seeds it takes to actually grow an apple tree. I mean, it probably just takes one seed because it's God and why complicate things. <laughs> so, but let's say three seeds. You throw in three seeds, you get hundreds upon hundreds of apples over the years. Once the tree reaches maturity and is able to produce apples from three seeds. So think about that. You throw, you sow three seeds of negativity, how many different negativity things are you going to reap? Quite a heck of a lot. Sometimes we can pray for a crop, a crop failure and God will answer that and kill the crop so we don't reap the full amount of what we, we planted. A lot of times though we have to reap it because we have to learn. And that's life. I'm not to be a demonic farmer in the lives of people in, around me which means sowing negativity. Kind of failed at that this week because I was in a really bad place. I was not happy. <laughs> Some circumstances happened that were not my fault and were out of my control, but I definitely didn't handle it very well. Once again, I'm human. But how do you love yourself in the midst of either self-negativity or the negativity of others? All right starting with the negativity of others. We all want to be accepted. I've talked about this before. We all want to be loved. We all want to be liked. We all want friends. Those that say they could care less, they don't need anybody, they could live life alone in the woods in a hovel. Friends, those are sociopaths, okay? Because we're relational creatures. Those are people with attachment disorders that cannot connect emotionally with people. And so, they're dangerous. <laughs> Just put it that way. You need people. We all do. God made us that way. God said in Genesis, it's not okay for man, well, it's not good, for man to be alone. I will create a partner for him. Was Adam alone? He had tons of animals. He named the animals, he named the trees, he walked with God every day. God literally walked and talked with Adam in the garden. And still, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will create a helpmeet for him. Ladies, we are not beneath Adam. We are not second-class citizens. I just put it that way. Any person in your life, male or female, makes you feel like you should grovel or be beaten down, browbeaten, and I use the word submissive here in the dark way. Submissive to the whims of a man, whether that's your husband or someone in power over you. 
is a demonic liar because that's not what the Bible says. If you look at the Bible, there are times in the Old Testament when women were placed in places of power. Consider Deborah, I believe her name is, who led an army, folks. She led the army of Israel into victory. We all know from the Old Testament that any time Israel won, it was because God made it that way. God even said at one point in the Bible, your army's too big. I want you to send these people home. Oh, it's still too big. Send these people home. God whittled down the army to a remnant so that men wouldn't take the glory of the battle. They wouldn't say, oh, we won. No, God won. God put Deborah, a prophetess, in charge of the army. Men came to her and said, I will not go into battle unless you are there leading the army. And she did. God used Rahab to save the spies and to bless her for that. She was able to save her entire family. Anybody that was in her house when they attacked and took out that city was safe because of what she did. In the New Testament, I mean the Old Testament, God talks about uh, protecting women. Now people read through these laws and get really touchy about stuff. But you have to really study them to understand things. While God favored women, the culture of the time was an ownership culture. We see that all around the world right now. Women were owned. So you got to understand that in the context of how things were going down in that Old Testament. New Testament, we see that God had women in his group of followers. We see that Jesus addressed a woman with the issue of blood. He could have just let her be healed and ignored her because she was a woman. Who cares? Why is her healing a testimony at all? But Jesus said, no. She needs to be, it needs to be known that she was healed because her faith, her willingness, folks, she crawled on the ground between people's legs to touch his hem of his garment and be healed. Do we even do that? Do we even... I struggle right now with even like the thought of going to church on a regular basis. Granted, I don't have a vehicle. You know? I have a hard time connecting. Oh, the stupid school. Hold on. All right, all I can assume is they're getting ready for graduation. But sheesh. The timing. <laughs> anyway. I even struggle with the desire to go to church on a regular basis and granted I'm in a strange country they definitely don't view Christianity the way I do it's not like it's a negative thing it's not like they're not Christian or showing Christian attributes or anything but I asked some guys to pray for a guy and they looked at me with terror in their eyes like what the crap are you asking I'm like you know you lay hands on them you pray and they're just staring at me like I'm insane I'm like uh women shouldn't lay hands on men men shouldn't lay hands on women it's just the way it goes but how, when was the last time that we were so urgently wanting to touch Christ? Huh, it's been a long time for me. Doesn't mean I'm not saved. I got off on a tangent there. I'm supposed to be talking about loving oneself. I believe that God... God wants us to know. Oh, I was talking about women's value, that's why. It's like, what, what does that have to do? It's difficult for women to love themselves if they don't see value in themselves. That's the point. So the woman crawling on the floor, crawling on the ground to get to Christ. And then you have the 
Samaritan woman at the well, which is my absolute favorite story. And I got to tell you, I got ticked off the way one of my professors sees her approach to Christ. Because he turns it into a sexual thing, which pisses me off. You can read so much into stuff. People believe Ruth and Boaz had sex in the field surrounded by their, his men. That's like fracking moronic. The perversion of this culture is just twisted. How could, he, how could Ruth be viewed as a pure woman that Boaz wants to pursue if she crawls into bed with him in the field in the middle of harvest time and sleeps with him in front of all his men? Give me a break. People are idiots. I highly respect Ruth. Don't diss Ruth, man. Pisses me off. Boaz is an image of Christ, for crying out loud. People drive me crazy. She's in the lineage of Christ. Ugh. But no, she crawled into bed with him and slept with him, and that's why he married her. You guys are idiots. Ugh. My life. That was for free. That's per usual. Anyway. Just because culture, or prideful, arrogant people don't value you doesn't mean Christ doesn't because he does so the negativity you face from others is not Christ's thoughts of you or Christ's idea of you or even what Christ says about you it's the arrogance and idiocy of man it makes it a little easier to discredit and disregard the ones that say that that are uh, not vital to your life you know, like, I've gotten to a place where if a man tells me something crappy, I'm like, dude, why do I care what you think of me? Like, legit, you're not my boyfriend, you're not my husband, you're not my father, you're not my brother, you're not my pastor. Why do I give a rat's butt what you think? And I don't. If a man's a jerk to me, I'm a jerk right back. And I'm sorry, I know that's not Christian. But you know, even that, the turn the other cheek thing, they said that was Christ being funny. So what are you going to do, turn the other cheek, let him slap you again? He's not saying to fight back, but he's also not saying to take it. Yet we as Christians have lauded the, oh, you need to take it. You need to turn the other cheek. You need to what? Be beaten up? Women, if you're in an abusive relationship, get out. You are not safe. God does not want you in that relationship. I don't care what your pastor says to you. God does not want anybody in an abusive relationship. He doesn't want you in danger. He doesn't want you beaten. You're not proving that you're a submissive woman of God by letting a man beat the crap out of you. Get out. And that was for free also. If you need a safe way to get out, there are so many agencies that can help you. Because I know sometimes it's not safe to leave. I don't pretend by any stretch of the imagination that you could just walk away. Get help and get out. Because one of two things are going to happen. He's going to kill you, or you're going to end up in the hospital. So, get out. Once again, free. The point is, you need to find a way to either confront negative people in your life that are vital to you. Like if it's a parent, or a child, or a significant other. If it's domestic violence related, get out. But to address them in a way that you're, essentially, you tell them, Oh, you're very negative. Using I statements is good. I feel <laughs> that you're very negative. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I feel that our relationship is negative. I'd like to see more positive. Blah, 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 blah. Finger pointing doesn't work. We don't like it when it happens to us. We won't do it to other people. So, making 
taking care of that. So if you, if you feel like you can't sit down with a person and actually have the legit conversation of like, you know, there's a lot of negativity here, I'd like us to address it and hopefully eliminate it, um, then you can just break it off if it's possible or spend less time with them if it's possible. Find a way to still love them, but not to allow that negativity to permeate your life. Because how can you love yourself if someone is telling you you're worthless or someone's telling you that you're ugly or they don't like you or why are you so stupid? Why are you so selfish? All that stuff. I mean, I have to say, you know, I've had people call me a user. I've had people call me selfish. And uh, while it may have been true <laughs> at the time, <laughs> Those words haunt you, and sometimes you can take them in and make them a negative self-talk, which we're going to talk about briefly. Um, as I mentioned before, just you have to stop saying negative things about yourself to yourself. And you also, as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, need to stop being a negative force in the lives of other people. If you give backhanded compliments, stop. If you get so frustrated with a person that you put them in their place, stop. I was in danger of that this week. Thankfully, I talked to a few other people and uh, was able to like get a lot of my feelings out there before I actually address the issue, which I'm going to probably do today, I'm hoping. I'm brave enough to address it. <laughs> um, but... I could very well have handled this a lot worse than I did. I already ha I handled it pretty poorly. However, I could have handled it a lot worse. And as much as I hate to blame myself in the realm of uh, emotional roller coaster life of women, uh, that was part of it. <laughs> but I really do feel wronged, um, and I feel like they don't care. And so I'm going to try to address that today. But eliminating the negative self-talk is really trying and difficult, especially if you're surrounded by negativity in general. And then you just kind of pick it from the air and add it to your self-talk, inner dialogue. To love yourself, you need to accept your flaws. Song of Solomon is a great book to read, uh, but don't read it if it starts frustrating you or weirding you out because then you're not ready. <laughs> Legit truth. You could ask God to make you ready, and he will. Uh, if it's time for him to do so. However, point being, she talks about how I am dark but lovely. And while she's talking about like the sun burning her skin and making her skin dark, if you look at it in an allegorical sense, like we're dark by our sin. Did I say sun? I hope I said sun and not sin. Because in the book, in Song of Solomon, she's, I call it Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, either one. Uh, she's out working the fields because her brothers forced her to. But then ironically, at the end of the, the book, it's only eight chapters, uh, her brothers like are like protecting her. Such a random double-sided thing. Um, but anyway, um, so I look at that darkness as our sin. We need to be able to look at our sin and our flaws and say, I may be dark. God's working on me. I may have darkness here, but I'm still beautiful and I'm still lovely. And to embrace that truth and actually... Stop being negative in our lives because negativity doesn't help any of us. And 
while it's easier to be negative, I'm gonna straight up tell you, it's very difficult to stay positive. I once had a birthday. My birthdays, guys, they suck. The only thing that makes my birthday great is my my family, whether it's my church family or my my biological family. My mom is ever faithful to bless me on my birthdays. Um, Without a shadow of a doubt, my mom and my aunt even managed, my Tia Bev and my mom managed to ship a package to China this year that arrived right before Chinese New Year. And my birthday was like the first day of Chinese New Year. And uh, it arrived at my work like the day before Chinese New Year, and it was full of birthday and Valentine's Day gifts. Even across, halfway across the world, my mom can make my birthday special. But in terms of anything else, my birthdays tend to suck in any other way, shape, or form. I spent my birthday alone in uh, Disney, at least I was in Disney, because my roommate got sick and she couldn't go. And I had a whole bunch of stuff happen I'm not gonna talk about because negativity, let's not be negative. Um, that just kind of made that day suck. But I had a lot of beautiful things that God did for me that day that made it worthwhile for me. And the point being, I had a birthday where I spent the whole, because I just wanted to be with my friend. I just wanted to spend time with my friends. It was my birthday. And I spent the whole day trying to keep them happy. They were all angry at each other and fighting. It was my friend and her husband and their roommate and his girlfriend. And I spent the whole fracking day trying to keep the peace and trying to keep the mood light. I paid for more crap on that day than... I ever have on my birthday, ever. And at the end of the day, we, it's nighttime. I went to a car show, for crying out loud. Those of you that know me, why in the world would I go to a car show? I go to a car show on occasion to like support my brother. But usually, that's just me to sit there and hang out with my nephews. <laughs> that's why I'm there. I'll check out cars and be like, well, that's cool, and then I'm done. But I'll go like on occasion for my brother. But this is when I was like in my early 20s. Why was that a car show? This was a waste of space on my birthday. But I did it because I wanted to be with my friends. And uh, we pull into her driveway at night, and she's like, oh, do you want to come in? I'm like, dude, I said, I am so exhausted from trying to keep you all happy. I said, it was my birthday. Nobody offered to buy me a birthday meal. No one offered to pay for anything for me. No one even wished me happy birthday, nothing. I am so exhausted, dude. I had to talk you off so many ledges today. I just, I just want to go home. And that'll, that'll teach me, because I was back when I was like, I hate my mom, I don't want to be with my mom. If I just spent the day with my mom, it would have been better. I mean, even if like there had been, I mean, of course, there were gifts for me, because she's my mom. But if, even if we had done nothing, I still would have had a better day doing that than trying to have someone care about me that doesn't. And so it could be exhausting trying to receive that acceptance that will allow you to like yourself it's not going to happen. In order for us to love others, love your neighbor as yourself. If you hate yourself, how can you love your neighbor? If you're jealous and bitter about people, that means there's something in you that is not settled. And until it is settled, your jealousy and your bitterness won't go away. If you're very judgmental and harsh, it's because you're very judgmental and harsh on yourself. Because that's the way I am. I expect more from people because I expect more from me. I cannot be fair most times. However, that's what hinders my loving myself, is the fact that I'm basically like, I expect this from you because I expect it from me. And if I can deliver it, so can you, which is not 100% true. 
But learning to love yourself is, is vital because once you're able to love the Lord with all you are and then love yourself so you can love your neighbor as yourself, your life will have a lot less stress. And I only know that because I lived that at a point before I was completely broken and shattered. <laughs> I used to live that. I genuinely loved people. And yes, sometimes you get hurt. Well, I got royally hurt, but <laughs> sometimes you can get hurt. Sometimes they slap you in the face and it sucks. However, because you love Christ and you love them, you're able to look at it. And I remember I used to pray, God, I want to love like you love. And he told me you would not be able to handle it because of the rejection. We pray that all the time. God, give me love like yours. We couldn't handle his love for us to actually give that to another person and have that rejection come right back at us the way it does to him. But we can have the, a measure of his love in our flawed humanity that is not like this earthly love, but is a deeper love for each other that allows us to encourage one another, edify each other, care for each other, be empathetic, and actually develop stronger relationships. I may do a third part to this, We'll see when I leave work today. If I feel like doing a third part, I will. Or later today in the sanctuary of my room, uh, do another part. We'll see. But if not, thank you for listening. And expect more about this later because it will definitely come up more. Um, if you want to send me an email, htal.podcast at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Have a beautiful day. Hello, everybody. I decided to do a third segment. I'm sure you're not the least bit surprised. I'm actually doing this on my walk home. Once again, I'm sure you're not surprised. But I was trying to think how I got off on so many tangents in both the other segments that may not exactly have been a clear message to y'all. So my goal here, hopefully without going off on a tangent or my little rabbit trails of life, to just kind of sum up the importance of what I was talking about. So, the basic premise of this podcast was that we need to love ourselves. So I used the Bible verse about the greatest commandment, to which Jesus responded, it's loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. The crux of everything is the word love, which I'm sure, if you're anything like me, you struggle to understand, you struggle to, sometimes you even struggle to see it in your life. You struggle to understand it. Now, a while back I did a podcast about how, about God's love. And how I felt like my love wasn't reciprocated. And I shared a quote from Pastor Lake. And I talked about the value of love. I think this world gives us a very false impression. For instance, we can look at Hollywood. And we can look at um, how romance novels and romance movies and television shows, music, how all of these things give you this horribly skewed broken, dark side of love. That's not to say that you can never find love, you know, but 
It makes love seem like something miserable. Why would you actively seek something like that out? When you think about Hollywood and how it makes like the playboy someone to pursue. This man who has been with countless other women and you're supposed to like be the one that he's willing to be tamed for, the one he's willing to settle down with, the one he will stop his philandering to, to be with. You're gonna change the bad boy. Now ladies, I'm extremely guilty of being attracted to the bad boy. Thankfully, God keeps a hedge around me and the bad boys can't get near me. But that is a draw of Hollywood. If you can tame the bad boy, you must be something special. You must be a kind of woman that men would want because if this philandering man that can have any woman he wants is willing to settle down with one woman and you're her, there has to be something special about you. So we're willing to take on these men that are philanderers. So then even Hollywood tries to flip it and they've tried to make shows about women being the philanderer, you know? And you have to look at the skewed logics of the world because if a woman sleeps around, she's a whore. If a man sleeps around, he's a player. And desirable, by the way. Don't forget that, because that's what Hollywood tells you. Women sleeping around, strange. And uh, not right. And most times, men aren't gonna want a woman like that. They're just gonna use her and toss her aside. They're not gonna want to make her settle down. They're just gonna take advantage of the situation and move on to someone else. Someone willing to make him settle down. Someone that only had a couple lovers or no lovers. And that's considered okay. So that's the world we live in. When it defines love, it's a dark, twisted, abusive situation. So love is skewed. Then you have to look at self-love because we're told so often that we're not supposed to, okay, granted people will say to look out for yourself, but the majority of the things we hear is that we need to look out for others, totally true. That we need to care about others, totally true. We're not allowed to like love ourselves, but they won't straight out tell you that. We know that some people become very self-absorbed. They're very self-consumed. They believe that everything about them is valid and nothing about anyone else is valid. These are the people that dominate the conversations with um, themselves. These are the people that you can count the I sentences and eventually have to stop because you're in the double digits and moving into the triples. These are the people that truly don't care how they come across, who likes them and who doesn't, because they aren't in tune enough to even notice. So people are annoyed by them, but their conversation continues based on their understanding of who they are and their value to the world. Now, people are valuable. I'm not saying that they don't have value. It's just that they oversell themselves. <laughs> they see themselves as the answer to everything, not necessarily the truth, yeah? So there's a danger with that whole self-love movement 
So how do you find that middle ground? How do you find that place, that niche of I love myself in a healthy way? And it's really, I don't have the answer, folks. Except the only answer I can give you is Jesus. When you look at the word humility, uh, it's not the way the world defines humility. So right now we say, oh, you have no humility. We take that to mean the person is very prideful, that they're very boastful, that they're not humble. But humility and being humble are not exactly the same thing. And the way the world defines it is how culture and modern times has evolved humility to become. So then what is humility? I have a very hard time putting it into words. <laughs> so forgive me for a second on that. But humility is essentially knowing who you are in God and knowing what you can do and what you can't do. So for instance, I can carry a tune. It's my favorite reference. And I'll tell you why. I love this thing. I'm just not Whitney Houston or Mariah Carey or Mendissa. I am not the lead singer. I'm not Beyonce. Right? And I hate that. <laughs> it's one of my biggest struggles. Could I become that? If I invested, but let's not get there. <laughs> or go there. Uh, so, I know that my singing ability is limited at this point based on how much time and effort I've put into it, how much practice and study I've put into it. It's basically saying none. And, uh, I know that I can harmonize. I know that I can sing. I know that I'm not tone deaf. I know I'm not a lead singer. So, as much as I would like to have someone come up to me and say, Julie, we're starting a band. We want you to be our lead singer. We just feel like you have exactly what we're looking for. I know that's not gonna happen because I know my limitations. I also know that as much as I want to be on a worship team, at this time it's not gonna happen because my one selling point for me being on a worship team is having a deep, holy saturated worship. And I don't have that right now because I'm in a bit of a distracted place. Knowing my limitations, knowing where I'm gifted. Where am I gifted? Writing. You want me to pound out something for you in an hour or something? I can do it. may not be the best work. It may not be a J.K. Rowling or Tolkien-level novel, but I can pound out something for you and make it sound good enough to, like, pass the muster. You know what I mean? It'll, it'll get you in the door, and the rest is on you. Writing is my ability. So, does that mean I never seek help in writing? No, because I know there are people that have more talent in the writing area than I do. So, I tend to try not to think about that too much uh, in regards to, uh, I don't think of myself as a best. So the point is, with humility, you know where you are. You can accurately gauge where you are in different areas. So you know areas where like, well, I'm definitely not called to do that. Oh, I could definitely fill that role. I need help here. I can help here. See what I'm saying?
That's humility. When God told me I didn't have no, any humility, I was completely shocked. I'm like, what are you talking about, God? Of course I have humility. Totally blew my mind. Uh, and then he had me understand what humility is. It's not pride. He's not saying that I was prideful. He was saying, you are jealous because you are aware of your shortcomings here, but you don't want to admit that you're aware of them. And so you want to be placed in a space you're not equipped for because you want that space. But you don't deserve that space. And it's not for you. And in the meantime, you're selling yourself short here where if you would just exert yourself, you could be at this level and do what I've called you to do and shine, but you won't because you second guess your abilities, you second guess your talents, and you sell yourself short instead of saying, yes, I can do this. Does it make sense? Okay, was the point with the humility thing. <laughs> to love ourselves, we have to have that accurate picture of who we are, where we are, where we fall in the scales of, and the balances of um, living for God and doing what He wants, but also in our relationships. We have to be able to understand that there are other people in our lives that aren't necessarily the best for us, and we have to make wise decisions there, but we also have to realize that there are people in our lives that they may be number one in our life, but we're number 17 in theirs. And being aware of that means that their rejection of you, when you want to go out for coffee, but they'd rather go out with their number two for coffee, is not a personal affront to you. It is not an indication of your value, your overall worth. It's just an indication of where you are in their relationship standard, which is not a negative thing. And from that, you're able to say, you know what? This doesn't affect how I see myself in regards to, you know, if I'm going to see myself as a strong individual or if I'm going to love myself. Someone else's rejection or lack of connection with you should not indicate how you feel about yourself. So in order to love ourselves, we have to have an accurate understanding of who we are and who we are in other people's lives. And we need to love ourselves in spite of our flaws. I talk a little bit about that in the second segment that you just listened to. But like the Shulamite in Song of Songs really gives us a good picture of this. I'm dark but lovely. So you need to acknowledge your flaws, but not in a way that makes you seem uh, self-deprecating. Did you know that like, there's things out there that's like false pride where people uh, talk down on themselves so that they can be complimented? because they fully know that they're talented. So they talk down on themselves so that other people will talk about them in a good way. That's still pride. You're just seeking it in a different way. So in order to love yourself, you gotta let go of pride. Because if we're gonna seek perfection or we're gonna seek being prideful or always feeling good about ourselves in order to determine if we love ourselves, we're never gonna reach that here. We need to just be able to say, God, I have flaws, because I do. And I am not where I should be in you. I know that you have called me to greater things. I know that you expect more of me than what I live currently. However, that doesn't change the fact that you love me. And that's not going to change the fact that I love me. I love who I am becoming. 
and I love who I am. And in this moment, flaws and all, I'm just going to choose to love myself. Friends, I'm going to tell you that one time in your life, more than once, there's going to be a time when it's not a feeling anymore. You're going to have a crush on a person and then eventually it's just not going to, you're not going to feel like loving them. And it becomes a choice. It's the same thing when we love ourselves. We're going to have days where we're like, oh man, I hate myself. You have to move beyond that and say, you know, I choose in this moment where I am my ugliest, my most broken, my most annoying, my most prideful, my most whatever. I'm going to choose in this moment to love myself. I'm going to choose to love myself. I want to say that there's a verse in the Bible that says choose love, but I think that's probably a slogan of someone else, uh, some person. But I do know that in the Bible it says that there's faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. It all comes down to love. Love. Loving yourself, loving each other. Choosing love when someone is the most infuriating person you've ever met in your life. Choosing love despite the fact that they called you a fat cow. Now, once again, I'm not advocating self-abuse. I'm not advocating domestic violence. I'm not adv advocating staying in an unhealthy relationship of any, any level. Friends, family, spouses, significant others don't stay. It's not what I'm talking about. You can love them without actively being in their life. It just means that you, you love yourself in, your, in spite of your flaws and you turn that same love to others. And in doing so, you free yourself from overtly negative talk and uh, situations. Is it hard? You bet. As I said, one of my other podcasts, I used to live that way. I used to live love. I used to love myself. I, was, I thought I was a pretty nifty person. And I used to love others. And I lost that when I was hurt. I closed myself off. And I didn't realize how damaging that was, not just to like other relationships as I try to form them, but to myself. How do you love yourself when you're closed? It's really hard to do. So, I hope my podcast talked to you at some, in some way, shape, or form. I haven't even listened to these, and I, I will after. Uh, after I post them, I'll listen. Um, I did do a disclaimer at the beginning. I recorded that already. I'm already prepared. Uh, but I, I just really hope that you're getting a glimpse of... Take an honest account of your life and decide if you really and truly love yourself. If you can really and truly say that you love who you are, even in the midst of failing and in the midst of your flaws, understanding that you're growing and changing and developing, not excusing them, just knowing I can love myself in my most ugly moment. And that will free other people up to do the same thing, to love you in your most ugly moments and to remain faithful and choose love in their most ugly moments. Once again, not advocating abuse or domestic violence. I must be very clear about that, folks. If you're in an unsafe domestic violence or abusive relationship, you need to get out. I don't advocate loving through the abuse. That is not what I'm saying. 
I'm going to tell you right now, if they abuse you, and once again, this is not necessarily relevant, but if they abuse you, if they physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, verbally, sexually abuse you, it is not love. No matter what they tell you, they do not love you because that is not love. I do not care what they say. I don't care. It isn't love. You never hurt people like that if you love them. It is sadistic, it is dark, and it is evil, and you need to find a safe way to get out. And I'm just gonna stress that. When I say that you need to love yourself and you need to love others, and you need to love them in their dark moments, I'm not talking about domestic violence, I'm talking about the dark moments, the depression, the oh, I'm just going to be a jerk today moments, not I'm a stinking abuser and I'm sadistic and I'm a psychopath and I'm just going to physically, mentally, emotionally, sexually abuse you and you're just going to take it. That's not what I'm talking about. So understand that. If you want to write me, it's htal.podcast at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And I really do hope that this spoke to you and that it was relevant because I feel like I was all over the place, but I do believe the point is there. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In order for us to do the second part of that commandment, we have to first do the first part, which is loving the Lord with all that we are, and then we have to love ourselves so that when we love our neighbors as we love ourselves, it's actually a love worth having and experiencing. God bless.